Hey, have you ever wanted to create your own podcast and share your own light bulb moments with the world? If so, now is the perfect time to do so because audio is the future of the internet and Anchor is a perfect place to do it. So Anchor is a podcasting platform you can find at anchor.fm and it's what we use to create the Lightbulb Moment podcast. So Anchor is amazing because first of all, it's completely free to use. Yep, completely free. And there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. So I've used Anchor to record with other guests on a mobile app, and you can also edit on your computer. And Anchor will distribute your podcast for you across so many platforms. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all the other major podcast streaming sites. So you don't have to set up individual accounts and try to distribute to all of those places. And you can also make money from your podcast with no minimum subscribers needed. And it's basically everything you need to record, edit, and publish your podcast in one place all for free. So I highly encourage you to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Good luck. Hi there, welcome to IDA, where we address how you can ideate, decide, act on the business topics we talk about in each episode and apply them to your own startup. My name is Varika Pinham. And I'm Ganika Pinham. We're the founders of IDA, Ideate, Decide, Act. At IDA, we connect female founders to investors, one-on-one mentoring, and resources to help grow their business. In today's episode, we have Brendan Kumarasamy, who is an advisor to Front Row Ventures in Canada and has his own YouTube channel advising people on how to pitch and communicate better called MasterTalk. Thanks for joining us today, Brendan. Of course, it's great to be here, you too. Yeah, well, I'm really interested in learning more about your journey from VC to starting this YouTube channel. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great way of starting this off. So when I was in university, my goal is pretty simple. It was it was to get a job at McKinsey or IBM, be a a senior level executive at a company like anyone else uh, my age who started in poverty would do not uh, be a start a youtube channel be in startups that's not something i guess people in our community would do anyways so i wasn't any different you know i studied really hard i did these things called case competitions which is essentially think of it like professional sports but for nerds so other guys my age were playing football or soccer or basketball what i was doing is i was using that same competitive spirit and applying it to presentations so I was obsessed and I would present all the time, two, three times a week, coach a bunch of people in my university programs. And then when I had the opportunity to, to join Front Row Ventures as a, as a VC, I was able to apply a lot of that presentation savviness to help a lot of the founders who are mostly student founders with their, their pitch decks. And then after I graduated and I joined IBM as a consultant there, kind of just asked myself, what should I do with my life now? And that's when I realized that there was a big opportunity for for YouTube channels on public speaking, because a lot of technical founders out there can't afford a speech coach or pretty early in their ideas and have comp sci degrees. So they don't, they don't really prioritize communication as a skill. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess the goal with the channels to democratize the information. So every technical founder in the world can have access to these resources. Yeah. Um, I can definitely relate to the case competitions, bit. done a, quite a few myself and very tactful way of saying that comp sci majors don't prioritize communication skills because um, it's really important especially like for people in stem uh, because they're not taught like the soft skills so much so i think that's really cool and probably a lot of the people that you were coaching as far as startups did have a lot of technical founders i'm guessing right 
Yeah, absolutely. So as you as you two probably know, most most of the startup teams are technical savvy. So their pitch decks are usually horrible, horrendous. So uh, when I go through the pitch decks, there's always something wrong with it, the way that they're communicating their ideas. And I would say the biggest thing is too many technical founders spend way too much time elaborating on their tech stack. So let's say they have a meeting with the VC. They go, oh, like you need to see the code or the algorithm that I'm using. But the VC doesn't really care until they're convinced that the use case is actually there as a, as a product. So it's just things about prioritizing the features that the other side of the of the table wants to hear first and then prioritizing them in the right order so that it leads to an investment eventually. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point, too, because like you are coming from the VC's perspective as well. And a lot of times, even like non-technical founders, like where you kind of seen a lot, where they have this great idea, but they really struggle to communicate it on paper because it's almost like they assume that we know what they're talking about, right? Or they go more into detail about one specific thing and they leave out the rest of it. So you see that like across the board, I feel like. But I, th- I feel like your niche is also very, um, you know, very popular. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with the thought process. It's, it's this idea that um, I think the reason to shine some light on this, why the content is not very good at the present moment, is because most speech coaches in the space, people who are just as good as me, if not better than me, uh, are not incentivized to share free content. Because if I'm working with 10 executives at Salesforce, that's my that's my livelihood. I don't need any more clients. Because they'll just introduce me to 10 people at IBM, who will then introduce me to 10 other people at Oracle. And then after I'm done, like I have a full-time living, I have no incentive to create free content. That's why the information hasn't been democratized yet, because the number of people who actually possess this skill are in so few quantities that most of them are in their 40s and 50s and don't really want to make free YouTube videos for people. Yeah, that's such a great point, because um, we see like a lot of business coaches and stuff. Um, it's usually really hard to get a hold of or like they work like with one-on-one clients and things like that. Um, and especially with pitching when like so much money is at stake, <laughs> it's definitely important for people to have access to this type of content. So that's awesome that you're creating that. Um, so tell me about starting this channel. Like, was it ever hard for you? Because I know like probably a lot of entrepreneurs think about starting a channel that goes with their business or like to use that as a marketing outlet, you know. So was it nervous for you to start a YouTube channel and put yourself out there? Absolutely. Like just to give you guys an idea, I started Masterstroke when I was 22, and I started coaching C-level executives, which is CEOs for those who are listening, at the age of 23. So you can clearly tell there's a lot of insecurity when I started the channel because I was I was fairly young when I, when I started out. But I think for me, what what helped me overcome the fear and eventually led to I guess my relative success is this idea that. If the mission that we're doing, if we have a unique point of view on how the world should be, that confidence drives us to make decisions that most people aren't willing to make. And I think Sam Altman, who's the founder of OpenAI with Elon, says it best. He says extreme people get extreme results. So if you're willing to do what other people aren't willing to do, you'll get the results that not many people will end up getting. Yeah, absolutely. That's so true. Uh, Another one I like is like, if you want something you've never had, you have to be willing to do something you've never done. Absolutely. That's very powerful as well. That's awesome. And then how about like with growing your YouTube channel and stuff? Did you have someone to help you? I know like all these algorithms always change, right? So how did you start with marketing it and um, getting these views and stuff? Yeah, of course. I think I think the key uh, for YouTube anyways, the first thousand are the hardest 
like the really difficult because you don't have status yet. So let's say you have a, a million subscribers on the YouTube channel. Everyone wants to be subscribed to your channel because why wouldn't you? They have a million subs. But if you got one sub or a hundred, uh, no one cares. Like They're just like, oh, this guy's like a loser. He doesn't have anything important to say. So the first thousand, you need to pretty much beg for it. So what I did essentially, what's the secret to a thousand subscribers? Messaging 4,000 people. That's the, that's the key, one-on-one. So, so I was able, well, luckily for me, I had, I had a good network. So I was able to scale to a thousand in 60 days since starting the channel. And then after that, um, I was just practicing once a week. I, I think the key for people who want to be on YouTube is you need to ask yourself, is this the medium you want to be a part of? So for example, if you can't post once a week indefinitely, unless you're like an expert and like people will listen to every single one of your videos because you're already a thought leader in the space, you just won't grow. Because people just won't stick around if you're not at least posting minimally at once a week at that level of consistency. So a good way to see if you're cut out for YouTube is just take a phone, don't edit anything, post a video every week. You know, it could be a couple of minutes of you just talking. If you can't keep it up for eight weeks, I don't recommend YouTube at all. Whereas with me, because the mission I had was really big, which is to democratize the world's information on public speaking. When I was eight months into it, I realized how big this could get. You know, I took 25% of my corporate salary. And since I live with my mom, as most people in the community do, I was able to use that extra income to, to reinvest in the channel. And that's how I went pro. And uh, I never looked back ever since. That's amazing. And such a huge risk to put 40%, like, especially like you said, early in career, most people are like trying to save or like invest in stuff. But like, most people don't invest in themselves. You know, they're always investing in like an external thing like stocks or real estate or something so like kudos to you for being brave enough to take 40 percent of your income and invest it back in yourself i think that's pretty amazing yeah absolutely i think one and this is just advice to founders in general and just founders it could be technology or non-technology is everything comes down to the belief system that you have in your startup if you don't believe your thesis and know that you're going to win there's no way you're going to win like there's if you just don't believe in it remotely and I, I spent a lot of time researching my competition, and I was really disappointed with the content that was out there. I mean, one person in particular on a video called How to Manage Vocal Tones literally sounded like this. Hi, everyone. Yeah, so today we're going to learn how to speak. And I was just like, wait, what? Like, you don't know how to, don't know how to manage your own vocal tones. And the guy had like 70,000 subscribers. So I said, I could beat this guy at the minimum if I just put in the work. And, I, and I've broken even since then. So so you just got to have that conviction as a founder because it's that conviction that not only will uh, propel you and engage other people to work for you, to invest in you, but also get people to say, I understand what this person is doing and I know exactly how to help that person achieve what they want to do. No, definitely. And, you know, the great point here is that if you're confident and you're strong on your thesis, it comes out on your presentation. It comes out on how you're pitching to your customers, to investors and just about everybody. Right. Like that's how well and strong you should know your concept. Absolutely. hundred percent. Oh, yeah. And Kanika, that actually reminds me, one of the things I wanted to talk about was the difference between pitching to investors and customers, because Brennan probably um, working at Front Row Ventures, like you have heard pitches where people pitch you as the investor, right? And then how do you think that differs from how you're coaching people now to pitch customers and, you know, speak in public? Yeah, no, that's a super sharp question. There's definitely different ways of looking at the same medallion, but I think the way that we should spin it for this conversation is, is the following idea. At the end of the day, a pitch is not just a presentation for investors, as you alluded to. It's an everyday thing. You're always pitching to everybody, customers, employees, clients, investors, 
it's you need a a way to communicate your message so that everyone understands what you do. So how do we kind of break down that communication across different verticals? So if we think about investors, investors want three simple things. They want to know how big the market is. They want to know the traction and they want to know your secret sauce. Like at the end of the day, how quickly are you moving? And what is the insight? This is the most important part. What is the insight that you have in the market that you think everyone else is wrong? And the better the insight, the more valuable the startup becomes. So if you think about the insight behind Master Talk, the insight is that I believe that there's a huge opportunity in free public speaking coaching online as a platform on YouTube that nobody else is currently seeing because the number of people who actually do want to master public speaking is much bigger than what the market thinks it is right now because most people are scared of public speaking. That's not necessarily true. I can pretty much bet there's just a bunch of introverts that would watch my videos alone in a basement and that would slowly brainwash them into just getting to a Toastmasters meeting, hiring a coach and doing something about it. So the market's a lot bigger than most people think it is. So that it's that unique insight for, for your company. But when you think about customers, the lens is a bit different. The customer is always based on conversations and relationships with them. So what I always force my clients to do is you want to have long dinners with people who are already buying from you. Not like a call, how are you doing? No, that's that's useless. I'm not going to get you. <laughs> you want to have a nice, fine dining, you know, not anymore, but after COVID's over, like a nice three-hour lunch. Just understand who they are, understand their psychology, understand what they dream about, what they aspire to be. And more importantly, the one question to ask your customer is the following. If you were to explain my business back to me, how would you how would you explain my business and and through the the language that they use that is the language that you use to communicate back to the world now give an easy example here to close this loop take salesforce as an example i think they've done this magically well at the end of the day salesforce's technology isn't super revolutionary it's a crm right it's customer relationship management there's a bunch of of other crms out there so if you just talk about the product if you just talk about the features I mean, sure, you'll sell, but you won't really sell billions of software. I mean, you won't sell billions of dollars of software. But I think what Benioff has done really well, who's the founder and CEO of the company, is he didn't just make Salesforce a software, he made it a movement. And I, I really want people to think about that. He didn't just create a software, he created a movement. He said, 1% of my employees' times, resources, money is going to go to philanthropy. At Salesforce, we believe in this world where everybody to have access to their customers faster and should be able to run their businesses better. He had this huge uh, marketing way of explaining the way that his, his ideas flowed from you know his conferences at Dreamforce to everything he does. And obviously this can be said about other companies like Apple as well with Steve Jobs. But I think the idea is simple. Don't just ever focus on the features with their customers. Focus only on their challenges, their problems, and how they want to be explained their problems back to them. That's really powerful. And I totally agree with that because at the end of the day, you are selling to them. So the way they understand it is the way you're supposed to really concentrate on and really market it. And you're right. Salesforce has done a brilliant job because, I mean, every day, we, a lot of companies, we use Salesforce today to reach our customers. And I guess if you really think about, you know, pitching differently to investors and pitching differently to the customers, what are the most common mistakes you see every day? Um, in terms of, say, when they're talking to like customers? Absolutely. So, so there's a couple of mistakes that we can talk about that people can fix pretty much after this meeting. So the first one, or rather call, not meeting, but the first mistake that people make is the following. They don't get 
grilled enough on their pitch. So, so one mistake I see a lot of tech founders make is when they get into their meetings with the VC and I ask them, how many times did you practice this? They always go, oh, you know, like three or five times. Whereas I coach people, I know it's crazy, like pitching for half a million, they didn't even like <laughs> prepare this. Whereas what I do with, with the people I work with, and I recommend you guys do this too, is I get a group of really hard-heading people. Like people who are worse than the VCs, way worse. And they just shred every part of the deck. Go to this side, go to this side, go to that. Did you consider this? Did you consider that? And that lasts for like three hours. So at the end of the three hours, when they've been asked 200 questions and they know an answer to everything, when they go into the actual meeting with the VC, that meeting seems like a joke. But most people don't do that. This is what we call question drills. When you drill so much down every business, every part of how you monetize from the way that you think about product, your go-to-market, that you just know the answer to everything. That sounds intense, but actually like super, super helpful. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we better be intense as startup founders. We're going to fail. <laughs> yeah, if I'm being honest. Absolutely. I mean, it sounds intense for your clients. <laughs> yeah. But that is really necessary, though. I feel like yeah. if you do want to you know, make that deal, if you do want to fundraise for your company, you do have to be cutthroat and you know, have to know everything, your business in and out, right? And that's really important for you to be able to withstand we see questions because the market's even more tougher. I think the reason they do that is like how well can you adjust to the market? Like how well do you know the market and stuff? Yeah, well the market doesn't even care about you. At least exactly. like we'll give you a thirty minute meeting. The market if they don't if you don't interest them for, you know, the millisecond that you get their attention, then you're gone. Exactly. And yeah, actually what you said about um them practicing only three to five times reminded me like one of the best pieces of advice I got is like you should know your pitch like at any time, not just right before a competition or before a meeting, but you should know it so well that if you're like randomly called up to p pitch it or, you know, you're at an event and you want to pitch it, you should know it. And people um, have advised that just practice it in the shower. Like you should know at least the first 90 seconds, like super smoothly. And a good way to do that is just like when you're walking around or practicing in the shower in your head, being able to regurgitate your business back to an audience. <laughs> I, I completely agree. Uh, Michael Michael Siebel, who's the fa CEO of Y Combinator, or at least he used to be, I believe, he calls this the the mom test. He says, well, if your mom doesn't understand your business, you're probably explaining it the wrong way. Which brings us, I guess, to the, the second biggest mistake I see people make, besides just lack of uh, intensity that they apply to their own startup, is this idea that they can't explain their business in a sentence. So for example, if you take Airbnb, I mean, sure, Airbnb could be a marketplace between buyers and sellers where they exchange real estate assets for profit. Totally fine. Or you could just say Airbnb is a platform that allows you to rent out the extra room in your house for money. Your mom understands the second part and my mom, right? So yeah. I, think, I think the key is it doesn't matter how complex the business is. Like I've worked with AI companies that are trying to use toxicity data and drugs to speed up the drug development process within within a Pfizer or a, or a GSK, like it doesn't matter, which is a pharmaceutical company. But the, the idea is just, if they can explain their, their business in one sentence, which is as follows, we're in Vivo AI and we use artificial intelligence to save pharmaceutical companies money in the drug development process, super simple, super easy to understand. And they, all of their team are AI PhDs, then I'm pretty sure you could explain your business in a sentence or two as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny you ring up the mom test because that's actually next on my reading list. Like literally, <laughs> I'm finishing up a book right now and it's next because someone sent it to me, actually, uh, one of our mentors, that it's really, really powerful for customer discovery. 
And then actually talking to people that don't understand the technical aspects of it can help you figure out the wording to explain it in a really simple way. Yeah, and to all of our listeners out there, this is a challenge. If you are already working on an idea or if you already have a startup, go explain it to your mom. And if she doesn't get it, then you better spend some time rewording it and reading it until she does, because that's when you really nailed it down. Because I think, Rico, we have to go do it too one more time. <laughs> I it's going to take a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. With your mom, it's definitely going to take a while. <laughs> It definitely will. But I think that's a brilliant idea, though, because it's like you're explaining to the general public, uh, you know, they're your customer, they're the ones who are paying and they have to know. Absolutely. And then and then just just to, to tie a bow on that mistake, and then we go on to the third and final one, which mm-hmm. is this idea that when Steve Jobs pitched the iPhone or the Mac or the iPod, he never talked about the technical specs about the device. He didn't say, you know, we're using an Intel i5-7378. No, no, nobody cares, right? Yeah. Like when he pitched the iPhone, he said, look, there's internet, there's a phone, and there's music, and this is not three features. This is all in one, and it's one device, and we're calling it the iPhone. Like, that's it. Like, this, that's a we're all like, whoa, okay, wow, that makes sense. Especially back then in 2007, where nobody thought anyone would buy a $1,000 phone, right? So, so I think, the, <laughs> right, it just sounds ludicrous, but obviously today that's just the norm. But but I think the idea that we need to always keep in mind is as founders, if we're, if we're working on something important, by definition, it's something that nobody else understands. So mm-hmm. we need to be able to take that idea and simplify it in a way that everyone else does understand so we can scale mm-hmm. that ideas. And Gary Tan, who's the one of the co-founders of Initialized Capital, explained this really well. He says, getting the breakthrough of your ideas is only half the battle. Because if nobody else understands the idea, it'll never spread and it'll never get adapted. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That actually reminds me of um, Segway, <laughs> which is like a big marketing failure because it's actually quite revolutionary like for its time. Um, it's very unique and they have, they have a good idea. It's kind of, if you think about it, like right now, these like bird scooters and stuff have a similar market and stuff, right? Um, and business model, it's just, I think they just didn't explain why anyone would want to <laughs> use it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm actually looking through your YouTube channel right now, and I would love to know what your top three books of all time are. <laughs> right. I, okay, sure. So so I'll, I'll keep it simple for today, because whenever I recommend three books, no one's actually going to pick up three books. I'll recommend my favorite one, uh, besides the one that's obvious, as you see on the list right now. So the one I usually recommend on shows is a book called Thirst by Scott Harrison. So Scott is the CEO of Charity Water. It's one of the, he's one of the largest uh, nonprofits in the water space. He basically helps people get access to clean drinking water. But what fascinates me about Star- Scott's story is I always like studying people who have less resources than me. And what I like about him, essentially, is he went from being a nightclub promoter in New York. He's one of, he's one of the best in, in the city. And he used all of that marketing chops, all of that marketing insight to build a brand that was like Apple or Nike, but in the philanthropic space. And that's how he was able to leverage storytelling and branding to, to raise over $360 million, I think, for clean water in like a decade. So he's, wow. he's just a savant in what he does. And he's someone I personally admire as well. Okay, sounds really fascinating. I'll definitely check that out because it is hard to raise in the nonprofit space. Super hard. And he's done a great job with it for sure. Yeah, and another book that um, I'm reading right now and I really love is Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It um, by Christopher Watts. I don't know if you guys read it, but I know it's like they're talking about negotiation and stuff like that, but 
the also the other end of it is they're talking about like how you can talk to people different types of people in different situations and stuff and it's used like it's applicable in all stages of life right whether you're in the boardroom in front of investors your customers or your 10 year old nephew like your ability to talk and understand people really takes you takes you far and also he talks about like really listening to people and how you should listen to people like active listening and like paying attention to certain detail and stuff and it's really fascinating to me at least that's awesome no i like chris's work he's great <laughs> yeah i'll definitely check that out too and um brendan this might be a larger question for you but i was just curious actually because um especially with how social media is changing these days like um i noticed that a lot of tiktokers moved off tiktok onto like other apps or instagram and started making reels and things like that because the app was jeopardized right so when we're thinking about like sustainability on social media and stuff so i'm sure you have like a larger plan right because your your goal is bigger to help democratize you know public speaking content so where to next from your master talk youtube channel how do you see this expanding and growing right so so the way that i think about master talk when i when i looked at the social media platforms myself is since i'm building educational content the question i need to ask myself is at the end of the day which platform allows me to scale the thoughts that i actually want to share i mean at the end of the day you know like tiktok instagram that's all great but no one can learn public speaking in 15 seconds right so i still post on those platforms but i'm not super serious about making those platforms successful versus something like a podcast like guesting on shows is one for sure but the other one is definitely the youtube channel cuz the youtube channel allows me to dish out 8 minute 10 minute videos But what's unique about that platform is that the content is evergreen. So that means that even three years later, people will still watch the same content, which is not true of literally all the other platforms, whether it's Facebook or LinkedIn, where it's really hard to find posts from two years ago, which is super easy to do on a platform like YouTube. So if I if if I think about the best way to reach the whole world, I think the easiest way to do that is a combination of podcasting, YouTubing, and speaking. if i want to reach the people who actually want to watch that content but obviously i'm still aggressive with the other stuff but i think that's where i see the biggest opportunity for long term brand anyways yeah absolutely have you considered like applying to tedx yeah so so ted is an interesting thing in the sense that you really want to play your tedx stage carefully you want to make sure that when it's time to go that you nail it and that it's super famous and then it, it makes you because if you mess it up you really don't get another shot at it So I'm actually going to wait a long I I can get invited to 10. I I'm pretty sure I have a good shot if I want to go next year. It's just I don't want to. I'm probably going to wait until the platform's big enough so I can pick which stage and everything. So there's like a meticulous process behind. You want to make sure you nail the TED talk essentially. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so it seems like you have a strategy figured out. Yeah. Great. Um so okay I have a question for you because on this uh podcast we always like to give listeners like some tips and applications that they can use in their real life right after they're done with the podcast and a lot of your videos they're all about like tips and you know exercises that they can do right can you give us a couple of tips um in terms of public speaking Yeah absolutely so so I'll give one specific to tech and people and then one for just in general that I think will really help people with presentations. So so one for tech is is the one sentence exercise because I know a lot of people struggle with explaining their business in a sentence or two. Mm-hmm. So so this is the best way to do this. The way that you the your key action after this call is take all of your existing customers or the people that are interested in your product or service or the person that you're trying to help 
and arrange one-on-one calls with five of them and ask them questions like, "What? how would you explain your, the business to me? Uh, what do you think I'm trying to achieve with this? Uh, what problem do you think we're solving? And talk to them as if you're trying to understand the business from their point of view and take notes on everything that they're saying. And I think a company that has done this really well is Airbnb. So when they started, you know, they, they started with the first hundred customers they literally went to photo- like do photography for the houses to go talk to the hosts, which was not scalable, not profitable. But they've realized when discussing with them that the biggest key differentiator that they had that no other platform had at the time was optimizing for trust at scale. And that's why Airbnb's logo or slogan rather is belonging anywhere. Because if we can create a sense of belonging, it means we can take this weird niche thing that people do, paying other people to sleep in their homes, and apply that to most human beings and make it normal. That's the insight that Airbnb got from talking to their first customers and really obsessing over them and having those long discussions over coffee or dinner with all hundred of them in New York mainly. So for you, how that would apply is you want to have those same conversations, not just with your customers, your potential investors, your mentors, even amongst yourselves, and then figure out the best language that can best explain your business. So that's what I would do for the for the tech side. And for the exercise side, and I'm happy to demonstrate as well if you, if you two would like me to do it, it's called the random word exercise. So essentially what you do every day, you pick a random word, like some some object in your house, and you make a presentation out of it. So let's say I pick teddy bear. I make a presentation out of teddy bears and that gets you really good at public speaking in a short amount of time. <laughs> That's wow. amazing. Did you actually do this with random words? I'd love to see them sometime. Yeah. Yeah. Give me a random word right now. Um, Ottoman. What? Sorry. What is it? <laughs> it's Ottoman. Like, you know, like a furniture piece. What? An Ottoman? That's a furniture piece? Can you give me another no, one? No, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Uh, a chair. Okay, there you go. Chair. Alternative. <laughs> no, sorry. I'm, I'm down with hard words. I just didn't understand what that meant. <laughs> That's all. All right, chair. Okay, so so let me let me give a presentation with that. I remember walking to my house the first time. I could see all the different elements of all the parts of the house, whether it's the table that we used to dine on, whether it's the bathroom that we use to, well, do our thing, or whether it's the, the living room where we used to relax in our homes. But if there was one object I would pay the most attention to, by many stretches, it would be the chair. The chair is heavily underestimated. It's very overlooked when we look at a house, but in reality, chairs are everything. Chairs are used to help us sit and work on the most important moments of our day. Chair al- chairs allow us to sit together as a family and work on things that matter to us. And chairs, in many ways, help us bring us together to share important moments of the day. And that's exactly why in this week's episode, or rather presentation, I'll be talking about the history of chairs, why chairs matter, and how picking the right chair can make or break the quality of your life. So that's how I just invented that at thin air. So there's a couple of things I want to push here before you guys go crazy about it. <laughs> One, never compare yourself to me. Okay, I've done this exercise over 2,000 times, literally, and I'm a slave on podcasts. So I do it every time, even when I don't want to practice, I have to. Number two, all I'm asking for, especially if you're a technical founder, is five minutes every day. Okay, it doesn't take long to work on this thing. You don't need a partner. You just look at tree, wife, floor, 
a cupboard, and then you do one minute each. Third thing is why the exercise is important. The exercise is important more for mindset than anything else. That's why I teach my tech executives. If you talk about tampons for a minute and you're a guy, you can talk about anything. Trust me. So that presentation that you're supposed to give about your company, your baby, that you spent years on, that you were once afraid of, you'll suddenly see that presentation as a joke. So that's the reason why you should do it. That's awesome. And uh, <laughs> did, have you ever considered uh, doing an audiobook recording? Because I feel like your voice would be perfect for that. Don't worry. <laughs> when you were doing the chair. It's, it's in the 10-year plan. Don't worry. Okay. okay. Good. good to know. <laughs> okay, you both said okay. Good to know at the same time. It's kind of weird. Oh, did we? I couldn't even hear her say it. I guess because it was at the same time. Yeah. No, because it really you have like that very audiobook kind of a tone, and that's a compliment. I appreciate. It. I'll take it. I'll take it to the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that was fantastic. You really nailed the chair presentation, Brendan. And <laughs> thanks for sharing that with us. It's okay, I cheated a bit. I changed the word, so I guess I can't take full credit. Give me like an 8 out of 10. I didn't get 10. <laughs> you forgot back support. Because oh, I thought you were going to end. <laughs> oh, um, that's good, actually. Is, you know, what you need for your back support. Oh, like the support in our lives, like the family. Yeah, the support in your life. <laughs> that's good. I think you should take my job. I think you're you're ready for this. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> food and dinner the whole time like a dining table chair <laughs> it's like different perspectives one little chair and different uh, things that people come up with like she's thinking about food and i'm like my back <laughs> right but you but you two are thinking in the right direction which means actually trying to figure out the pro the solution to it right so it's good yeah well that was a really really unique tip i don't think that's something most people would have thought of so listeners if that's something you're struggling with definitely just you know around your daily life go try it out And once again, super amazing having you on the show, Brendan. And if you all enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe and share with a fellow entrepreneur. Thank you for listening to Ida. And you can find us at thinkida.com. And you can follow Brendan at Master Talk on YouTube. Until next time, ideate, decide, act.